the book of Acts chapter number 8 this morning. As we're going through the book of Acts, we've done this once. Uh, there's going to be some passages where um, I could preach them, um, and, the, and the notes will be in a sermon format, but I want to slow down a little bit uh, and maybe teach a few things in this text and uh, try to help us today from the Word of God here in the book of Acts chapter number 8. Do pray for those that are sick and not able to be here. And uh, we appreciate your faithfulness this morning. Acts chapter number 8. And let's begin reading in verse number 1. And we'll read down through verse number 5. But we'll be dealing with verses 1 through 24 this morning. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hauling men and women, and committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you all for this day. Lord, we thank you all for your goodness, your mercy, and your love. We thank you that you've given us another opportunity, uh, Lord, to be in church today. Lord, we don't take that for granted. And Lord, we want to give you glory and appreciation for that. I pray, God, that you would be with those that are sick today, not able to be here. Lord, bless this scripture this morning. Help us to rightly divide the text and uh, give some clarity and thought uh, concerning these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. In verse number one, by way of introduction, we find the consent to death. The Bible said that Saul was consenting to his death. That takes us back to Acts chapter number seven, uh, where Stephen, we looked at it last week, where Stephen uh, was the first martyr of the church. He was stoned. And Saul was there and consenting to his death. That meant that Saul attended Stephen's death. That meant that Saul approved of Stephen's death. But as we closed the message last week, uh, Saul or Paul was affected by Stephen's death. He never got over that. And then there is the confirmed dedication, verse number 1. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But notice these three words, except the apostles, except the apostles. Here's, here's what that means. That means that the church was scattered abroad, uh, but the apostles didn't leave. The preachers didn't leave. And thank God for some men uh, that stood. There was a strategic attack, a scattered assembly, but there were standing apostles, how they stood in the face of trouble and difficulty. There's the compassionate display. And verse number 2, how the devout men carried Stephen to his burial, how they gave him a proper burial. We notice there is a continued declaration in verse number 4 and 5. This is what I'm interested in. The Bible said, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. He preached Christ unto them. Now, I'm interested this morning uh, in that little phrase in verse number 4, preaching the word, and verse number 5, preach Christ unto them. And I want to center our thoughts around that. Um, And this is a little close to home. Actually, it's about 
60 yards close to home. Uh, but there's apparently opened up a new church over here in the, uh, in the little shopping center. It was one church, and now they've changed names. It's like an outfit in Mooresville has come in and doing satellite church. As some of you have seen the sign for the Cove. And uh, I guess they stole the nautical thing from us, being the harbor. They want to be the cove. And, but we're not docking these ships in that cove. I promise you that. Amen. Uh, but I, uh, we was at the pizza place yesterday feeding young people before we went bowling. And um, uh, I, I noticed they had a little card. And uh, so I picked it up. And uh, they, they are advertising in the month of July movies at the cove. And here's what their website says. This is a four-week series where our pastors, there's your problem there, multiple pastors, use actual movies, yes, real movies that you would pay to see to illustrate biblical truths. In short, you get to watch a movie at church. Our atriums will be transformed to a spectacular experience where you will feel like you're walking into a movie set. There will be fun activities before and after services for people of all ages to participate in. Movie snacks will also be served. No worries, parents, your children in the Cove kids and Cove students will also experience movie messages on their level to illustrate so they learn practical truths from God that apply to their lives. They're going to be watching movies. And bless God, don't you need to get up over and go, watch, go over and watch movies so they got popcorn. Amen. Uh, that's why Tony and them sit in the back so they can go back there and watch movies. Amen. You don't have to sit back there right now, brother. Ain't, ain't no thieves going to come in during Sunday school. We can't even get members to come in during Sunday school. Uh, but anyway, um, but what, I, what, I, what bothered me is they're using movies to illustrate biblical truths. <laughs> why not use the Bible? to illustrate biblical truths. And sadly, that, that goes on even in, in Baptist churches. I just saw that sign and got mad about it uh, yesterday morning and figured I'd work it in this message somehow. I'm glad Philip didn't show up on a, and make a movie set in Samaria. He didn't show up and say, all right, we're going to... And I, I want to know, the movies are in the theaters right now. I can't think of any that you can get any biblical truths from whatsoever. I mean, because all the movies got cussing in them. They got sodomy in it. Immorality in it. I mean, my goodness, what are they going to watch? And uh, I remember years ago, somebody tried to take Spider-Man 3, which is probably the worst Spider-Man th movie of all the Spider-Mans, where he had the regular suit and the black suit picturing the two sin natures. I'm like, Lord, help us. Let's read Romans 6, 7, and 8. God, help us. But what I'm saying is we don't need movies to illustrate biblical truths. I, I, have, never, I have never been in favor even of the Christian movie, in, movie industry. One, because they're all bad actors. <laughs> And then two, they're just corny. I, I got upset years ago because everybody got all excited about the movie War Room, about prayer, and, and talking about that lady, how she prayed. You realize she's a paid actor. People act. That wasn't real. It was a fake story. But people would rather have a movie. They'd rather have, uh, because we're all geared on visual. That's why you have 75-inch TVs on the wall and big screens on the wall. We're, we're motivated by visuals. But the Bible said faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know, you can be deceived by sight. You can be deceived by sight, but that hearing by the Word of God. And I love what Philip did in this text. When he went to Samaria, he preached the Word, he preached Christ. 
Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1, For God of Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of of God, not a movie set, uh, not not anything like that. Preaching the Bible, Amen. And so I want to say three things that this, and and I, I want to try to teach a little bit. There's some parts I'm have to slow down. But what did the preaching of the Word? What did preaching Christ do to benefit the people in Samaria? Well, number one, preaching Christ brought a change to those bound by sin. Notice, notice the sad situation of these Samaritans. First of all, they were unwanted. The Bible said they're Samaritans, meaning uh, they, they were half-breeds between the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember that woman of Samaria? She told Jesus at the well, she said, the Jews and the Samaritans have no deals with one another. The Jews, don't want the, the Jews don't want us, and the Gentiles don't want us. We are our own little thing. We're unwanted. That's what every sinner is. The devil uh, will use and abuse lives and destroy them. They're unwanted wanted but then they were unclean in verse number seven the bible speaks of the unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice now we understand uh, that this refers to the demonic spirits that had control over the lives of these samaritans this is not indicating that every lost person is demon possessed but it is talking about the fact that every lost person is under the control of sin and satan they were unable, in verse number 7, it talks about the individuals uh, that were lame and that had the palsies. And the Bible tells us not only their sad situation, but it tells us about their sweet salvation. Look at verse number 6. It was based on what they heard. Verse number 6. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles that he did. The hearing was first. The seeing was secondary. They heard they were healed in verse number 7. The Bible said, and many, many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And then verse number 8, they were happy. And there was great joy in that city. What caused all that? Philip walked in and he preached Christ. Philip walked into that town and he preached the word of of the Lord. That's what we need, amen. That's what we try to uh, try to make sure that we uh, promote around here is the preaching and the declaring of the Word of God, amen. So preaching Christ brought a change to those bound by sin. But secondly, here's where I got to slow down. I want to spend majority of my time. Preaching Christ brought clarity to those bewitched by Simon. Now, Simon the sorcerer is an interesting man in verses 9 through 13. We note his descriptive characteristics in verse number 9, the presentation that he displayed. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in that same city used sorcery and bewitched the people, giving out that himself was some great one. He, he promoted himself. Propagated deception. The word sorcery means magic or spells. He was good at convincing people that he had power and ability. And no doubt he did uh, because the devil does have power. But he don't have all power. The people's devotion. The Bible said in verse 10 11 that the people gave heed. They believed. They, 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 verse 10 to him, they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. Saying this man is the, is the great power of God. They said that the man was the power of God. 
They said that, the, the, that Simon, that is the man, but he's a sorcerer. He had bewitched, and the word bewitched means to charm. It means to fascinate. It literally means to cast a spell on someone. I would dare say all of us have been bewitched before, whether by a preacher or by another believer. Another word for that is hypocrisy, giving out one thing with the mouth, but having something else on the inside, living one way in public and another way in private. There was the descriptive characteristic, but there's the definite conversions, verse number 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You know what got these people help in their deception? Preaching Christ. Preaching the Word. They believed, they believed the preaching. They believed the person and the name of Jesus Christ. And they believed in making it public. The Bible said they were baptized, both men and women. Meaning this, not only do they make a, a profession of faith, not only do they profess faith in Christ, but then they publicly displayed that by being baptized and let everybody know I have identified with Jesus Christ, I believe the message, I believe the preaching of Philip, and I want to publicly identify with Jesus. Baptism does not save anybody. It is just an identification of, what, of a decision you have made for Christ. I believe if you're saved, you ought to be baptized. Amen. I believe if you're going to be a member of the church, you need to be baptized. We are Baptists. We don't sprinkle people. Heard a story of a preacher preaching at a Methodist church one time, and he is a preaching away. There's a little glass on the pulpit, and he said, I was just a preacher away having a good time. He said, I grabbed that water and said, Praise the Lord. Ain't he good? And he said, I drank all that water. And the lady in the back said, Oh no, he drunk the baptistry. I mean, that's a man preacher. You drink a baptistry in one lick. But we don't, we don't, we don't sprinkle. We baptize them. We, we, uh, we, we immerse them in water. Some of us should have left down a little bit longer. It might have helped, amen. Uh, but what I'm saying is that publicly identified their relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you publicly identified your faith in Christ? Not just in baptism, but in being a witness, being a testimony. You know, we got those new tracks, and the Lord's convicted me about passing out tracks. I've done got to pass out three today. I gave one to Charles, gave one to Eric, gave one to Richie. No, <laughs> found the three ugliest sinners I could find and gave one. No, you know, going through a drive-thru, I, I think you ought to stick them in your door. Stick them right there in the door when you pay for your food. Uh, give them a gospel tract. You don't have to stand there and, and, and quote the Romans road or the Lord's Prayer to them to say, hey, I want to give you something to read. This is an invitation to our church. Hey, man, getting the gospel out. Because that's what's going to help people. That's going to make, what's going to make the difference in other folks' lives. But notice, and this is where it's going to get a little deep. Notice the deceptive claim. Verse 13. You, you look at your Bibles? Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. There is much disputing and discussion on whether or not Simon the sorcerer got saved. Now, I'll be honest with you, it would appear, according to verse 13, that he is saved because the Bible said he believed. But you know what? Salvation is not just based on faith. Did you hear what I said? It's faith and repentance. Faith towards God, or, uh, faith, uh, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I'm going to make a statement here and, and chew on it for a second. A second, okay? Belief alone does not save. Faith alone does not save. James 2.19 Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. So if faith alone saved, that means every devil in hell is born again. We know that's not the case. You know, the reason I say that Simon did not have repentance is because his continued infatuation with signs, wonders, and miracles. Look at verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. He was focused on all the outward. Stay with me. I'm going to prove it even more. Look at verses 20 through 24. Or verse, verse, eight, verse, uh, verse 17, they lay their hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. We'll get to that in a minute. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay, I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Here's my first indication that Simon's lost. You ready? Thy money perish with thee. The Bible said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, those who are believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible said in John chapter 3, verse 15, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible said in John chapter number 10, verse number 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall men pluck them out of my hand. You know, perishing and dying are two different things. Perishing speaks of eternal judgment. Dying is something that's going to happen to all of us if the Lord doesn't come again in our lifetime. I don't mean if he don't, he's coming. But if he don't come in our lifetime, we may go by the way of the grave. You know what Peter told him? He said, your money's going to perish with you. Then notice verse 21. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. He said, you're not even a part of us. I know it's, I've, I've been chewing on this all week long, trying to figure out what I believe about this. And it's then, verse 22, repent therefore, and it interesting, he goes straight to repentance. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Verse 23, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. Watch this now. Does this sound like a saved person? And in the bond of iniquity. If the Son therefore make you free, ye are free indeed. Well, preacher, what about Simon? Simon is a picture of somebody who made a false profession, went through the motions, but was never born again. Now listen to me about Simon. Listen to me. Y'all know me. I don't, I don't say that everybody that's, everybody that's, you know, a member of the church, without a doubt, you made a false profession. Y'all know I don't preach stuff like that but there are people who have made false professions and every false profession has been because of an outward influence now let me say that another way so you'll kind of pick up what I'm laying down the Holy Spirit of God has never dealt with somebody and they made a false profession chew on that for a minute if the Spirit of God convinces a man of sin and he comes down wanting to be saved, that is not a false profession. 
But when preachers put the pressure on, hold your hand up, repeat this prayer. That's an outward pressure that often produces false professions. Now, Philip did not do that in this text. Simon Sorcerer is devil-possessed. He's a sorcerer. But I'm going to tell you, in the day and age we're living in, these fellows running around just getting people to hold their hand up and repeat a prayer, they're the ones getting the false professions. Now, I'm not saying that somebody can't get saved like that. God's big enough to do whatever he wants to anytime he wants to. Can I get amen out of that? But for the most part, where all them, where's all them people that got saved in them Billy Graham crusades? Millions. Where they at? Where's, I mean, I mean where's, where's, all, where's all those people that got saved at First Baptist in Hammond? Where, where they at? They claim they had 5,000 saved one Sunday at their church. They said they had more people saved in one day than they did on the day of Pentecost. They claimed that. I read it. Had Pentecost Sunday. Where they at? That's a problem with that. Somebody said, well, I like the way they're doing it better than the way you're not doing it. You know how dumb that sounds? That, sound, that sounds like a spiritual statement, but it's a really foolish statement. You know, somebody, not, somebody might be, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of an illustration, you know. Rob, robbing a bank to pay your mortgage is not right. <laughs> Too wrong. The end does not justify the means. Now, when I, the statements I made about that church are statements from 30 years ago. I don't know the present condition of that church or that pastor. That, that, but I'm talking about 30 and 40 years ago of things I've read. There's a problem, folks, when churches claim to have three and four and 500 people saved a year. And I know we ain't busting the walls out and we can all lay down in the pews today, all right? I get that. But it's a problem when somebody claims to have three, four, five hundred 500 people saved and none of them stick. And nobody stays. Now, everybody that's made a profession of faith in this church has not stuck. Whose fault's that? Probably both sides. Some people made a false profession because somebody else did. Their youngins got their youngins made a profession, so they felt like they needed to make a profession. It happens. Somebody goes down, their friends, so they go too. I've been in this thing long enough. I know that's just how it goes. But then some of them, some of them just gave in to the flesh, gave them desires, or it's not in church. But thank God there has been a few that stuck. Amen. There, ha there have been some. Here's the point. I am for giving a public invitation. I am for presenting the gospel. But you're not going to see me. I mean, God's going to have to move on me hard for me to go back here and get somebody. I ain't never done that in 20 years of preaching nor 10 and a half years of pastor. I never went back and got anybody. And if God ever did, Brother Richie, I mean, it'd have to be, it'd have to be. William's probably the closest one I ever went and got. And Grace is about to go get him. Because, <laughs> I mean, everybody can see it. He just needs somebody to push him out in the aisle. Okay? I mean, that's probably the closest I ever went to anybody. But I knew what God was doing. He was probably already saved then. He's, you know, his heart was already turned to God. But man, when you got to drag somebody, manipulate somebody, I know that's not particularly what happened in Simon's case, but I'm talking, making the application in our day. Outward pressure produces false professions. Now, what is our job? Our job is to preach Christ. Our job is to preach the Word like Philip did. The ball is in your court. 
to respond. Brother David, if the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God and Jesus dying and rising again is not enough to get somebody saved, what am I going to do? If that's not enough, we'll go look later in the book of Acts chapter number 8 with that Ethiopian eunuch. Philip walked, run, that's a funny story. That fellow's riding in his chariot, his horse is pulling. Here comes Philip running by. Understand what you're reading? He needed somebody to help him. But Philip wasn't putting pressure on him. Y'all picking up what I'm laying down? There's, there are people who have made a false profession because of outward pressure. This. The Bible says in Proverbs 5, verse 21, For the ways of a man are before his eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and thou shalt be holding it with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. But you know what brought clarity to this situation? Preaching Christ. To those that were bewitched. There was a lot of people in Samaria that was bewitched by Simon. The preacher, if you would. The religious leader who had all the results. They were bewitched. But they wasn't born again. And God used Philip preaching Christ and preaching the word to see them saved. Now, let me make this statement. There are people who stood up in an invitation, raised their hand, and done business with God and got saved where they're at. Amen. I believe that. There are people who have had somebody knock on their door and somebody stand on their doorstep, take the Word of God, and lead them to Christ. Amen. There are people that have, had, have come down to an altar and someone has taken the Word of God and showed them how to be saved. But there's not anybody that's been saved because they repeated a prayer. Or because, that's incantation, that's not regeneration. I'm not against helping somebody pray. You're going to go in them prisons and preach. Some of those men have never talked to God before in their life. They don't know how to pray. There's nothing wrong with helping somebody pray. In that context, I ain't got a problem. Well, preacher, I don't know what to say. Well, here, pray something like this. It ain't the words, though. And that's in a one-on-one -on -one context. Not preaching to a congregation of three, 400 people where you don't know who has what understanding of the gospel and salvation. But you know what? It looks good on your Facebook post to put all them numbers up. It looks good in the newsletters to all your evangelistic supporters. I tell you, we, we're dealing with the souls of men. You know, when, with all three of my children, the same doctor delivered Sattler and Judah, right? I couldn't understand a word she said. She's from, she's Italian. She don't work at Olive Garden either. I mean, I, I didn't understand a word. She, I thought she was Russian. You know, I couldn't understand. You know, I, you know, I was looking for Stromboli to walk in or, some, or Mussolini to walk in, whatever. But you know what? I didn't, I didn't care. Who, I, I wanted to make sure that whoever and those... The, really, that doctor don't do anything but come in with a catcher's mitt. That's all they do. All them other ladies, all them other nurses, they do all the work and they just walk in and get all the credit, you know. <laughs> kind of like the guy that closed out the camp meeting on Friday night, you know. <laughs> Everybody been there working all week long, coming, woo, preach and leave. But you know what I wanted every one of them nurses and doctors to do? Be very careful. Do anything you need to do. Make sure that the birth of my children is safe 
correct and be what it needs to be. That's the way I'll be when we deal with sinners. Do it safely, correctly, in our world, scripturally, the way it needs to be. Here's the last thing. Let me give you a little more. Is this making sense? So I said, well, you're not the judge of Simon. No, I'm not. But Philip said, your money's going to perish with you. You have no part in this matter, and you're in the bond of iniquity. I think those three things right there are the sign of a lost man. Now, we may get to heaven, and Simon the sorcerer will be there. I'm like, I missed that one. But so did all them other commentators I read this week, too. And so did Brother Reese Key. Um, here's the last thing. Preaching Christ brought a change to those bound by sin. It brought clarity to those bewitched by Simon. And it brought a consciousness of the blessing of the Spirit. Now, verse 14 and 15, there's a discovered testimony. We won't read all the verses, but the apostles that are in Jerusalem, they heard about what God was doing in Samaria, so they come down, they come down to Samaria to view it. Verse 15, who when they were come down, prayed for them, they might receive the Holy Ghost. That's the discovered testimony. Verse 16, the dispensational truth. Watch this little parenthetical statement. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That'll make you scratch your head, won't it? Because we know when we get saved, the Spirit of God immediately moves in. Amen? He didn't do that in Acts 8. So what's up with that? All oh, the Pentecostals love this and charismatic. you got to pray and get the Holy Ghost. Okay, let's, let's look at it contextually and dispensationally. It's the transitional book. By the way, them charismatic Pentecostals, what books are they going to preach out of? Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews. All Jewish books. The church is introduced in, church is mentioned in Matthew. It's introduced in Acts, but it's transitioning from the Jew to the, to the Jewish age to the church age in the book of Acts. Transitioning. Ain't it interesting? You get towards the book of Acts, and, Peter leave, and Paul leaves somebody sick. He's losing power. He tells Timothy to take wine for his stomach's sake. He can't heal Timothy. Paul has a thorn in the flesh. He can't even heal himself. What's Locke and Harrison do with that? Yeah, I guess they skip it. So, so what is this, what is this in, here in the book of Acts? Why, why are they in the pray? Well, this is not a second working of grace. Why the, these was a, this was a uh, the Holy Ghost had not entered them they were just baptized so why did Samaritans have to wait for the apostles to come here's what I want uh, I'm gonna read this to you I wrote it I read it in a man's book this week and it's so good I copied it out he said why did the Samaritans and later in the book of Acts the Gentiles have to wait for the apostles before receiving the Spirit ain't y'all glad I'm teaching this and I ain't trying to preach it. For centuries, the Samaritans and Jews have been bitter rivals. We mentioned that. If the Samaritans had received the Spirit independent of the Jerusalem church, that rift would have been prolonged. There could have well been two separate churches, a Jewish church in Jerusalem and a Samaritan church in Samaria. But God had designed one church, according to Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. By delaying the Spirit's coming till after Peter and John arrived, it preserved the unity of the church. The apostles needed to see for themselves and give first-hand testimony to the Jerusalem church that the Spirit of God had indeed come to the Samaritans. 
But the Samaritans had to learn that they were under, they were subject to apostolic authority. Now, if you're like me, after I read that, I went, huh? Here's what that meant. If the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost had fell on them Samaritans, the Samaritans said, well, we're the true church. God's moving in Samaria. He ain't moving in Jerusalem. He's here. We don't need, we don't need Peter and James. We don't even need Philip anymore. And if the apostles had heard that, they would have got upset with the Samaritans because they were all Baptists. They both baptized. The apostles had to see that God was indeed, God had told them in Acts 1 he was going to go to, to, to Samaria and the most parts of the world. But they had to see it. They don't have Facebook. They don't have newspapers. They don't have television. They had to go and see it. In Acts 10, Peter's going to go to Cornelius' house and watch God work on the Gentiles again. God switched to the Gentiles. But them Gentiles had to see, hey, our authority is at the Jerusalem church. You see that? Now, in this day and age, when, you, when somebody gets saved, the Spirit of God moves in immediately. Why? We're in the church age. This ain't the church age in Acts 8. This is transitioning to the church age, but it ain't the church age yet. Why? Because Paul is the one that's going to give church doctrine. He don't get saved in the next chapter. Are y'all picking up what I'm laying down? I know this is deep stuff. But it's good stuff. There's a divine touch, verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Peter and John and possibly Philip laid their hands on these new believers and they received the Holy Ghost. The power was not in the men, but rather in the man, Jesus Christ. Here's the application. When a person comes to Christ by faith and repentance, they're immediately indwelt with the Spirit of God, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. But after we're saved, we still need to be filled with the Spirit. That's the application of this. You know what will let you know you need to be filled with the Spirit? Preaching Christ. Preaching the Word. Now, in closing, i got three minutes, or two minutes, and we're done. Why I study this passage of Scripture, it has nothing to do with us. Acts 8, that I just preached to you, taught to you, has nothing to do with the church age. It's just history. Why? Well, first of all, we need to be good Bible students. We don't need to be ignorant. Number two, to be blessed by the dispensation of grace we're in. Aren't you glad when you got saved, you didn't have to wait for some apostles to show up and lay their hands on you so you could have a friend that will stick closer than a brother? <laughs> okay, you're saved, but, you know, um, these guys, are <laughs> they're at a big revival right now, so they got a lot of people to lay their hands on, so you don't have to wait on them. No, ain't you glad we don't have that no more? But then we ought to be burdened not just being dwelt by the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. And I hope you're, in the words of one of my heroes, Brother Billy Mitchell, I hope you're saved. And I want you to, I want you to understand that just because you have doubts don't mean you're lost. But just because you repeated a prayer don't mean you're saved. Is that clear as mud? What I'm saying this morning is at the end of the day, we don't trust prayers, we don't trust preachers, we don't trust places. We don't even trust our feelings. We trust Christ. There's preachers. I'm, I'm trying to... Y'all pray for Miss Linda. Because I'm, I'm, I'm writing an outline book. And she's editing that. And then she edits stuff for the Timothy Conference newsletter. And then I'm writing a book. Of course, that's going to be a little while. So, uh, she, but she's, she does all the editing. She makes me sound brilliant. I mean, it does. I'm like, man, people are going to... 
People ain't going to believe I wrote this. It's so good. I, I, she wanted something to do, and the man said, that's a blessing. Man, man, a preacher was talking the other day, and I, I, shared, I shared with her doing the proofreading for me, and like Miss Becky done uh, a few years ago from my other book, he said, boy, that'd be a blessing to have people in church, maybe retired school teachers, somebody that loves to read. They could be a blessing to a lot of preachers who failed English, <laughs> and they can write stuff and help us out. That, that's a blessing. But I'm writing a book on salvation. Uh, y'all have heard all of it because I preached all of it here. Uh, what's bad is I didn't have none of it wrote down. I was just preaching what was in my heart. But, you know, you got the group that, you know, you just repeat the prayer and you're okay. And then you got the group, I don't know if you're under enough conviction or not. Well, what is that supposed to mean? Let me check my conviction gauge. Okay, I'm only at 34%. I guess I need to wait for another revival. That's as dumb as I'll get out, folks. When God turns the light on and you realize you're lost and you hear the gospel, your responsibility is to respond to what's been revealed to you. Whether you respond or not is up to you. It ain't up to God. So I said, well, I need God to do something to let me know I'm saved. He went to, uh, or let me know I'm lost. He sent the Spirit. He died on the cross. He gave you a Bible. What are you trusting in? At the end, that's what it boils down to. When, if you died today, what are you trusting in? You trust in a profession, you trust in church membership, you trust in water baptism, you trust in, well, I hope my good outweighs my bad. No, at the end of the day, you trust Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. We'll let you have a little bit of break, then we'll go to meeting. Father, I pray.